More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Hey, I'm Kelly joining you for Survivor Sanctuary, and I want to thank you so much for taking some time to join me for this episode, episode 97 of the podcast. We are getting up there. Yes, it's true. And hey, I want to thank you so much, whether you've listened to one or two podcasts or all 97 of them, thank you so much for spending time with me. As always, I really appreciate it. I actually wish that we were in person right now. I feel like today I might need a little bit of a Survivor Sanctuary support group type of a situation. Wouldn't it be nice if we could all just meet up and spend a little time together chatting and venting to each other? I guess technically that's what I do sometimes here on the podcast. And I will tell you that today is probably going to be one of those episodes um, because, well, I had another episode planned and I was getting all set to record it this evening when something happened and now my plans have gone out the window and instead going to be talking about something else. Had a bit of a weird experience today and you know the more I think about it the less I think that it's a weird experience and the more I think that it was something that was calculated by a sexual abuser to kind of I don't know like stick their hands in their ears and say nanny nanny boo boo like I got away with it and so well that's what we're going to talk about today. So If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you might remember an episode that was entitled A Tale of Two Felonies, and it's about how a church that I was a part of for several years handled two different felonies, and one of those felonies was handled very differently than the first because this felony involved the sexual assault of a minor by a person who had been volunteering as a youth leader in the church for many years. So I've mentioned on the podcast before that this person behaved very strangely toward me after I started this podcast. Um, I had been going to the church. He had always been very friendly. I thought it was very odd that he was always surrounded by a certain age group of boys and he never seemed to be around adults or have adult relationships. It was always this like, I'm with a ton of like 13, 14, 15 year old boys and these are just the people that I hang out with. And so that struck me as odd. But of course I did what you do in your mind you do what other people do to you and say well just because you were sexually abused you know that might make you mistrust people and you know what I'm gonna just say right now that's not true and I think that we all need to listen to our instincts and a lot of times our intuition and our instinct just kind of gets all thrown off and not just because of what we've been through but because we have people in our ears telling us you were sexually abused so you don't trust people and I gotta say I am a very trusting person I am 
I trust people typically until they give me a reason not to. And I'm a people person and I don't walk around thinking that every person I see is an abuser. But the times that I do think someone is an abuser, I'll try to talk myself out of it or tell myself I'm seeing things that aren't there because of what I went through. Or I listen to other people in my life tell me, well, you were abused and so you automatically are going to think everybody's an abuser. And so I'll talk myself out of these instinctual feelings that I have and I will not listen to my intuition or try to talk myself into thinking that I'm seeing these red flags for a reason other than something intuitive and it's more just based on my childhood trauma. So that happened in this case. I tried to talk myself out of it. But after I started the Survivor Sanctuary podcast, this person who was constantly surrounded by young boys, who had boys living in his house with them. He would take in young people who couldn't get along in their own families and, oh, I'll take them and I'll disciple them and they can live with me for a while and they can, you know, that kind of a deal. This person stopped being able to look me in the eye after I started Survivor Sanctuary. And I was vocal about the podcast and I was vocal about sexual abuse. And actually, I'll backtrack. This was before I started the podcast. It was when I started No Less Than Light, my blog. And on the blog, I talked about sexual abuse and I began talking about it on Facebook. And it was at this point that this person stopped being able to look me in the eye and he avoided me so much. And it was like all of the red flags and the sirens blaring in my ears when he was around everything started to kind of piece together. And I was 100% convinced, just convinced that this person was molesting children, that he was grooming them, that he was sexually abusing people, that he'd probably had victims and was probably going to amass more. Um, The one thing I didn't have, though, was proof of any of this. And you can't tell on someone based on a feeling or an instinct or your intuition. Um, Looking back, I think there were things that I could have done. uh, And I wish now so much that I had done them But at the time, I was listening more to those voices that said, if you say anything, everybody you say something to is going to say that the only reason you think this is because you were sexually abused as a kid and so you don't trust people. And so I kind of let those voices win and didn't trust my intuition, didn't trust my instinct. So anyway, it turned out like a while after I started having these feelings and I would come home from church and I would like be talking to my dad on the phone or talking to my mom and just say like, I know this guy is abusing kids. I know that he is an abuser. And, you know, my dad would always be like, now Kelly, he was one of those people in my life who was saying, you know, maybe the fact that you were abused kind of warps your perception a little bit. Whereas I know now it's actually the opposite. I think the fact that we were abused can often make our instincts and make our intuition even sharper in that area. We can spot a phony from a hundred miles away. We can spot an abuser from far away too. I'm not saying every single person is the same or every feeling that you get is necessarily based in reality, but I do think that we need to listen to those voices and those red flags. But I would be telling my dad, like, I know this guy is an abuser. I know it. And there's no way I can prove it. And it's so upsetting. I had all these like ideas in mind that I was going to join the youth group and be a youth leader so that I could keep an eye on him and all this stuff. Well, anyway, as time went on, he ended up being arrested for sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy from the high school where he worked. And there weren't a ton of details about the case, uh, but there were six charges leveled against him, six felony charges. And I think all but one of them had to do with sexual abuse or child porn or traveling to commit uh, uh, like lewd and lascivious battery. I don't have all of the charges in front of me, but there were six of them total. 
And over the last three plus years, and then COVID happened, and we've been waiting for his trial date and waiting for his trial date because he pled not guilty to all of the charges. And so, you know, the time waiting to see what happens, I just check the court docket every once in a while and see what's going on. And in the last few months, I saw that a hearing was coming up and I figured it was going to be continued like all the other hearings had been for the last two and a half years, at least since COVID started. So it actually hadn't been on my radar for about a month. And my blood ran cold today when I got an alert on my phone that this man who had been arrested for sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy, he had followed me on Twitter. And immediately, like, my blood just ran cold. I knew that as a condition of his pretrial release that he was not allowed to use social media. So I assumed, since he has pretty much stuck to that over the last three-plus years, that that meant that his case was closed and he had not been convicted. So I went onto the docket, and it turns out his case is closed. On August the 26th, he pled guilty and got a plea deal clearly because there were six charges against him and he only pled guilty to one charge and was convicted of aggravated battery. Now, what aggravated battery does not include is any charge related to sexually assaulting a minor. So on his record now is a conviction for aggravated battery. And that conviction carries with it two years of community control, which is basically like a version of house arrest, and 10 years of probation. And some people might say, hey, you know, two years of community control, 10 years of probation. I mean, that's pretty hefty, but here's what it's not. It's not helpful to any person who might benefit from knowing that this man had actually been arrested for sexually assaulting a 15-year-old child. If he wants to volunteer in a church, if he wants to work for a church, if he wants to just go to a church or volunteer in the youth group or just sit anywhere near where children are located, he can do all of that. And even if a background check happens to be run on him, all that background search is going to turn up is that he was found guilty of aggravated battery, that he pled guilty and that he was convicted of aggravated battery. And so that's not helpful when you're trying to protect children and when you're trying to protect young people because it doesn't give the whole story. And I think that Jimmy Hinton has talked about this on his podcast before where people just believe when an ex-con comes into their church and they seem so honest and, oh yeah, man, I was you know I was just accused of this little thing and yeah I just felt like it was you know worth it to just plead guilty to not have to go through a trial and not to put the victims through that yada 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 some sob story and people just accept their word at face value or if they look up the record they see what this person was convicted of but people don't understand you can take another step like this person that I'm talking about, you can go to the court docket in Miami-Dade County and you can see what he was charged with. And there are six felony counts there that he was charged with, all but one pertaining to sexual abuse or the use of a computer for something related to sexual abuse or child pornography or traveling with the intent to commit sexual abuse. Everything but this one charge is related to the sexual assault of a child. 
But he was only convicted and only pled guilty to one charge, and that is aggravated battery. And hey, if you had to choose what you were going to have on your criminal record, everybody's going to choose aggravated battery over lewd and lascivious acts against a minor. You know, like that's no contest. Nobody wants that on their record. So yeah, there's no conviction here. And so we can say this man was arrested for this. He was charged with this. But he does not have any conviction on his record for this. But let me tell you something right now. That does not mean. It does not mean he did not commit these crimes. It means that in his plea deal, for whatever reason the prosecutor decided on, those charges were dropped so that they could get a guilty plea. So obviously I'm frustrated with our justice system. Sometimes it feels more like an injustice system, especially where victims of sexual abuse are concerned. Now, I can't say that this person, even though I'm not mentioning their name, I can't say that this person, you know, 100% did this because I wasn't there. He allegedly sexually assaulted a 15-year-old child. But there was enough evidence that the state attorney's office went ahead and charged him and were taking this case to trial. The investigating officers, the detectives involved, one of them was quoted in an article as saying that because of his position both at the school and at the church where he worked, that they believed there were more victims out there and asked other children to, you know, come forward if they had any information or if they had been abused by him. So it's frustrating enough that you feel like justice was not served. Now, because this case involves a minor, there's very little to go on online. You can see his charges, you can see hearing dates, you can see the million and a half times the case was continued, and you can see his guilty plea and his conviction and his sentencing, which I think is laughable for what he was accused of doing, for what he was arrested for doing, and for what he was charged with doing. Um, Ridiculous, but that's how plea bargains work. And it's upsetting if you have been involved in a court case. I know that you understand right now what I'm talking about. And I haven't personally been involved in a court case regarding the sexual abuse that was perpetrated against me. But so many of you have been and you've told your stories. Some of them you just tell in snippets online. Some of you tell them in podcasts. Some of you tell them in writing. And it's super frustrating that so often it just seems like the system is working against us instead of for us, that everything is stacked against us, and it is really, really hard to get justice. Or in some people's case, you know, they'll get a conviction, and it's like, yes, I gave my victim impact statement, and, you know, he was sentenced, and, you know, hallelujah, this person is behind bars, and then they can't hurt people anymore. And then it's like, you know, 60 days later, they're released due to overcrowding from COVID-19 or something. And it's just, it literally feels like the system just works against us instead of for us. So it's a super frustrating place to be. And that in itself is frustrating enough. It's not super surprising to me, though, that he got a plea bargain. It's not super surprising to me that he pled down to some lesser offense, aggravated battery, and that he's not going to serve any time in prison. That's It's honestly because it happens so often and because of how our legal system is. None of this is a surprise. Here's what did surprise me, though, and what made my blood boil. And that is the fact that once his pretrial restrictions were lifted 
and he was allowed back on social media that he decided to follow me on Twitter. He decided to follow the person who I'm positive is the literal most outspoken anti-sexual abuse advocate, especially as it pertains to the church in his entire life. I'm sure he's never met or even heard of anyone who speaks out about sexual abuse as much as I do, anyone who advocates for the abused as much as I do. So I don't think it's super far-fetched for me to believe that this guy followed me on Twitter as kind of an FU, if you will, for lack of a better term, like that's how it feels. Like, hey, I'm not going to prison and my charges were reduced and I don't even have to register as a sex offender because last I checked, if you're convicted of aggravated battery, you don't have to register as a sex offender because aggravated battery has nothing to do with a sex offense as far as how our laws work. And so, no, I I don't believe that he's going to have to register as a sex offender because why would he if all he was convicted of and all he pled guilty to was aggravated battery? But listen, if there was aggravated battery happening between the two of them when they met up after meeting on Grindr and this kid claims he was sexually assaulted, more than aggravated battery occurred. And I know that prosecutors use plea deals for many reasons. I know that it's like here we don't have that much evidence. Let's avoid a lengthy trial. Let's avoid spending all this money. Let's avoid this or that. This is all that we can really make stick or whatever. Like I get there are many reasons that a prosecutor will offer a plea deal to somebody like this. Again, this isn't super surprising. It's just super disheartening. It just is. And it's not like, listen, it's not like a personal vendetta against one person. It's the fact that for several years I sat in a church feeling super frustrated because I knew something wasn't right with this guy. I knew something was going on with young boys and this guy. I knew it. And do I have any proof of it? No, I absolutely have zero proof. So I can never say definitively that this person is going around sexually abusing people. But I will say that every alarm bell in me was going off And I just had a feeling like, I know that I know that I know that something's going on here and it's not right. And it felt like, oh my gosh, vindication a little bit when he was arrested, because then it's not just, oh, the crazy person who was sexually abused when she was younger, you know, who thinks everybody's an abuser now is accusing somebody else of sexual abuse. You know, I can count on one hand, the people that I have suspected of sexual abuse, like the people that I know personally, I'm not saying like people I see on TV or whatever, but in my own personal life, I can count on one hand the number of people that I've thought, you know, there's a good chance that they're sexually abusing kids. It's not like something I go around like every person I see, I think this about. But all the alarm bells were going off. All the red flags were waving. The sirens were in my ears and I just knew. And so when he was arrested, it felt like finally, like I'm not crazy. Like that feeling I have doesn't make me a crazy person because he's finally been arrested for the thing that I've been suspecting him of for a long time now. Um, But when that translates into just three plus years of continuances and continuances and continuances and nothing on the docket because and listen I understand why nothing is is on the docket I understand why the documents related to this case are not available online and that's obviously because this case involves a minor and you want to protect 
the minor involved. So, you know, it makes sense. But it's also frustrating when you can't find details. And I, I guess if I went to the actual courthouse, which honestly, I'm probably going to do, go to the courthouse, request the file, and read whatever in it is not redacted. Um, but it's just the frustration here. Finally, you think, you know, after not having any evidence and not being able to say anything myself, because I knew I didn't have, I really didn't have anything to go on other than a feeling and some sketchy behaviors that didn't translate into actual wrongdoing. But finally, after that, there's an arrest, there are charges, there's going to be a trial, you know, and finally those feelings and those red flags feel like they're verified. And it ends up with one count, a secondary felony, one count of aggravated battery, nothing related to grooming, preying on, or sexually abusing a minor which is actually what he was arrested for in the first place. The justice system is just really frustrating sometimes. It just is. And again, I get why these things happen. I get why prosecutors choose plea bargains. I get that not everything somebody is arrested for you can hope to convict them of. I get that there's not tons of money to have trials and stuff, but it really feels like victims of sexual abuse get crapped on in our justice system. It's like the victims of sexual abuse are somehow expendable. And I'm wondering right now how the young man who was 15 years old at the time feels that instead of his perpetrator, who he is accused of of all these things, like instead of them having to go to jail, or at least, even if you don't have to go to jail, man, at least have to register as a sex offender. At the bare minimum, because If he is preying on young men, he is a danger to young men and always will be. And now that that's not on his record, I just wonder how this guy feels. Like I came forward, I was humiliated because this is humiliating. And let me tell you, the judge in this case used this boy's initials in a hearing. She said them out loud. It was on camera. It was broadcast on news stations. And every single person who went to the school where he attended and where this perpetrator worked, every person knew who it was based on those initials. So he didn't even get the luxury of privacy, if you can call it a luxury when you're in a case like this. So people know what happened. People know that this perpetrator was arrested because of something that he did to this child. His reputation is shot. It's not like it's going to make you popular to be the person that comes forward and and says, hey, I was sexually abused by an adult. He's gone through all of this. And the end result is that all his perpetrator is convicted of is aggravated battery, which frees him up to keep preying on children. It's just super frustrating. And honestly, like I don't have, this is one of those episodes. It's not like I have these perfect answers and can say like why this happened or what the good course of action would be to prevent it in the future. Because honestly, I really don't know. Sometimes you'll see cases and it just, it varies so much. Not even just like from state to state, but county to county. It varies from judge to judge how people get prosecuted and convicted and sentenced, you know, it's like somebody could do something horrifying and it's like, oh, here, here's a year in prison for you. And then somebody else who seemingly does something that's not quite as horrible can get 10 years. It just, there's no continuity 
in our court system. And I feel like there needs to be more. And I know, again, because it all kind of happens at a state level, nationally, there really can't be any sense of like coherence. But it would be great if in our states, we could at least decide like, this is how you sentence somebody who is convicted of sexually abusing a minor. Like, to me, there needs to be something more definitive in our laws regarding sentencing. And like, we have that with guns. It's like, there are gun offenses in the state of Florida that carry a mandatory 25-year minimum in prison. There's a mandatory minimum, which means if you commit a crime with a gun or you shoot off a gun and it's not justified for whatever reason, it's 25 years mandatory that you will spend in prison. And I'm thinking we have mandatory minimums for guns. And there are cases where like one woman like shot a gun into the ceiling Her husband, who had like assaulted her for years, was attacking her. She shot off a gun. It went into the ceiling. And she's serving a 25-year mandatory minimum sentence because she was convicted for, I don't even know what she was convicted for, like exactly what it was called. But because she discharged this firearm, it was a 25-year mandatory minimum. No one even got hurt. And she was trying to protect herself. That, That was her defense. But even if they didn't believe that, You shoot a gun into a ceiling, nobody gets hurt, and you're spending 25 years in prison. However, if you sexually assault a minor, if you rape a kid, like, hey, you might spend five months in prison. You might spend five minutes in prison. You might never go at all. You might be under community control for a couple years and then probation. Or, hey, maybe you'll get a plea deal and nothing regarding any sexual crime will be a part of that plea deal. It's just insane to me. It's completely insane and it's super frustrating. And I know that this doesn't help alleviate um, anyone's feelings of injustice because honestly, I don't have that in me today. I'm just kind of feeling a little bit bummed and more, Now, I don't want to say more because obviously my feelings are not as important as the feelings of the people who have experienced sexual assault, who have experienced childhood sexual abuse and have watched their perpetrators walk away and, and, and not be convicted or to get crappy sentences to never receive justice. And I mean, that unfairness, like this is not about me and my feelings. Obviously, it's more important this young man who has to live with this for the rest of his life and know that the person who allegedly perpetrated this against him will not have to spend 10 seconds in prison. But I will say that the thing that shook me today more than that, and honestly, I didn't even want to admit that it shook me because I almost feel like that lets the perpetrator win. And so part of me was being prideful earlier and I was like, I'm not gonna podcast about this because I don't want him to know it bothered me at all. Like, you know, I'm more powerful than that. And like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna let him know he got under my skin. But honestly, I don't care. Like, because what's more important than letting somebody know that they got under my skin or not is letting people know the mentality of abusers. And while I can't see into this person's brain, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that your first order of business upon getting back on social media after escaping a sentence for sexual assault on a child is to follow a childhood sexual abuse advocate 
that you're basically thumbing your nose at that person. You're basically sticking your thumbs in your ears and wiggling your fingers and saying, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. I didn't have to go to prison and I got away with it and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And that's, that's just basically how this feels and kind of just solidifies what we already know about abusers in that they're calculated and they're cold and they love what they do. And they're very smug about the fact that they get away with what they do. And that after this three plus years of being in this court system, and I mean, he was released and wasn't in prison while he awaited trial. But after all this time, he's walking away. Yes, with the criminal record, but I'll say it again. A criminal record that involves aggravated battery is a heck of a lot better than a criminal record that involves the sexual assault or sexual abuse of a minor. Anybody on earth that has to choose between those things is going to choose the battery charge a hundred times over before they're going to want any sexual abuse or sexual assault of a minor on their record. So I don't even know really what to do with this follow on Twitter. And listen, I, I've talked to a couple of people and they're like, well, maybe he just was looking for old friend. Yeah. Okay. You're not picking the old friend who speaks out against sexual abuse and who is online every 30 seconds, you know, writing up something about sexual abuse. You're not seeking out that person and following them after you got off on charges of sexual abuse. You're not seeking them out and following them unless it's for an ulterior motive. Like, I don't believe that for a second. Oh, let me look up some old friends. I'm sure Kelly, the child sex abuse victim advocate, is the first person who's going to want to be my friend on Twitter. Like, give me a break. Give me a break. There's definitely an ulterior motive there. There's definitely something going on with that, you know, seemingly innocent little Twitter follow. Um, I don't believe that it was innocent or little at all. I think it's a slap in the face. But here's what I have to say in response to that. While I don't have all the answers, I do know this that even if these perpetrators don't get convicted, they don't have to spend time in prison, the scales of justice miss them somehow, let me tell you, in the end, I have absolute faith that these people who sexually assault kids, allegedly, are going to get what's coming to them in the end. Because Kelly, the sexual abuse advocate, is not who you have to answer to. People on Twitter who talk about sexual abuse in the church, people who podcast about sexual abuse in the church, those aren't the people that you need to be worried about at all. There is a God of justice, and I believe this, who hears the cries of the oppressed. He hears the cries of the people who have been begging for justice for years and years and haven't got it. He hears those cries, and that's the person that you're going to answer to. And he doesn't fall for your little act of, oh, I'm a good person who just wants to serve God and get ordained and be a part of this awesome denomination. He doesn't fall for any of that crap. He sees right through your BS into the heart of the matter. And he knows that at your core, you are a wolf in sheep's clothing. You do not know him and he does not know you, except as the abuser that you are. And you're going to get yours in the end. There might be churches full of people who will fall for the, oh, 
I'm a repentant sinner act. Oh, I did this bad thing because I just stumbled and it wasn't my fault. I was abused as a kid, so I couldn't help it. Yada, yada, yada. There are people in the church who fall for that. Tons of people. Like, it's embarrassing how many people fall for it. I'm not one of those people. I'm not going to say I've never been one of those people, but right now I'm not one of those people. But God doesn't fall for any of that stuff. He sees right to the heart of the matter, and he sees exactly how many kids you have sexually abused, exactly how many, every single time you did something inappropriate, every single time you hurt a child, every single time you caused psychological or emotional damage to a kid because you couldn't keep your hands to yourself. He's seen every single touch. He's seen every single offense, and you're not getting away with anything. So enjoy your 10 years of probation. Enjoy not being in prison as a child molester because I've heard that really sucks. But know that it's fleeting and that someday you're going to pay for what you've done. And God knows what you've done. He's not fooled by your sweet little church boy act. So that's how I sleep at night because I know in the end there is a reckoning for people who want to destroy the innocent through sexual abuse, who want to prey on the vulnerable. There will be a reckoning, and honestly, I know we're not supposed to say this and be excited about that, but I am. I'm looking forward to that day when people are ripped up and thrown into the fire because they're not wheat, they're tares. And they've been choking out the people who are supposed to be planted in that field. It's coming. It's coming and you do well to confess now, to repent now. And I mean like truly not the kind where you cry and say you're sorry and then keep abusing people because the millstone around your neck that you're avoiding in this lifetime, like a thousand times better than what you have to look forward to in the next. And that's what I've got today on Survivor Sanctuary. Warm, fuzzy, delightful episode. I know. Um, Just needed to get this off my chest. And I I use this sometimes as a place to vent. Obviously, I cannot lie about that because you hear it in the episodes that I post here. But I wanted to get that off my chest today. And I appreciate you listening. And I just want to say, man, if you are going through, and I know so many of you are, so many of you are, and I can't even imagine when I hear about somebody else's case and my blood pressure skyrockets and I have this like rock in my gut and I have pain in my chest over the injustice and Like that pales in comparison to what some of you are dealing with when you actually have to go through the court system yourself and try to get any scrap of justice that might be available. Like I know my feelings pale in comparison to yours. So I just want you to know that my heart is with you. Um, I'm with you. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I, I know it's a hard road and you're brave and you're courageous for just having the stamina to just not give up because honestly, nobody would blame you if you did. But um, if there's anything that I or anybody else on Survivor Sanctuary can ever do to help you through this process, like we're here for you. And I guess I can't speak for everybody else, although I know you guys pretty well. And I think that you're ready to just rally around people who need help in Survivor Sanctuary. And I think that that's awesome. But any help that you need, anything that I can do for you, I'm here. And I know like it's a helpless feeling sometimes because we have to watch everyone as they go through the the court system, as they go through civil cases or as they go through criminal cases. And it's so hard, 
And I just like, I have a lot of respect for you if you're doing that. And I also know it's not easy. And regardless of how brave and courageous you are, sometimes you just want to lay down and scream and give up. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way. Um, but we're proud of you that you keep moving. And I just believe a hundred percent there is justice. And for some of us, for whatever reason, we're not seeing it in this lifetime. And that sucks so bad. But I do believe that ultimately there is justice for the vulnerable and the weak and the children, like people who have been used in this most despicable way. Um, There is justice. And whether it comes in the form of the justice system or not, um, it's coming. And I think that we need to hold on to that hope. Um, but it also, it's okay to lay down and scream and just be mad and punch things too when you're just like, why is our justice system like this? Um, so hey, if you want to continue this conversation, you have anything you want to say, anything you want to add, um, feel free to join us on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group page. Look up Survivor Sanctuary Podcast on Facebook, request to join. You'll have to answer a question. I think some people might miss the fact that there's a multiple choice question you have to answer. So just make sure that you answer it and I'll add you to the group and you can join the conversation. And I will catch you back here on the next episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Take care. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.